Get your Bible ready. Open your hearts. Get ready to receive. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We're going to have Sister Cookie come. I want to anoint her with oil. That's what the Bible says. Call for the elders of the church. Are you an elder? Yes. Okay. Join me then. Thank you, Lord. We just anoint her tonight. And we thank you, Jesus. And we speak to this spleen, dear God, that you will send your signal even into her DNA, Lord, into that spleen and command the infection or whatever's causing a swelling to disseminate and to break up its agenda against her body and for the spleen to recover and for her to feel it, God, and to know that you're there. That's right, Lord. Send a signal into the spleen that it's going to overcome and recover in the mighty name of Jesus because the word says, by your stripes we were healed. Amen. Hallelujah. You're definitely going to get better. How about that? Glory. I didn't ask if anybody else needed to be anointed. We can always do that, you know. Hallelujah. Well, I'm glad you're here tonight. And we're going to have us a dinner on Sunday. And Sister Janet got her a wedding dress. So she is very excited about that day that's coming. Amen. We had a great Sunday. I got to baptize my youngest daughter again. She was baptized when she was about probably five years old or six years old because the other kids got baptized somewhere along there. But she said, Dad, I want to be baptized again because I know what I'm doing this time. And so we're very pleased about that and her boyfriend John and his brother Terry I want to call him Jimmy I'm just going to have to call him Jimmy Terry or something like that anyway I got to get it right (laughs) hallelujah but we're so looking forward to the weeks that are coming Uh, the women's conference I'm looking forward to it because I got to meet the speaker when Zach graduated with his master's out in Virginia Dr. Connie Dawson, and uh, she was a missionary in China, actually dyed her hair black, she's a blonde, she dyed her hair black so she would fit in the culture a little bit better and wouldn't stick out like a sore thumb. Her husband, I forget, Zach's not in here right now, but uh, her husband was a a part of a group that owned several restaurants I forget the name of them now it doesn't matter but anyway he sold his whole investment to go on the mission field you know sometimes God asks you to commit more than is comfortable has anybody in here ever been uncomfortable with God (laughs) yeah because he will ask you not just for part of you 
but he will ask you for everything. Hallelujah. There's Sheila. I'm glad she showed up tonight. She and I are going to do that wedding together. It'll be her first wedding. So I'm, she's going to open it up and invite them and say all the preliminary stuff. And don't forget to say who gives this bride to be married to this man. I don't know if anybody, I guess her son's going to give her away. Then I'm going to join in with her for the vows. and It's going to be a delight. But these conferences are going to be powerful. She wrote, she is a professor of church history and especially the charismatic side of things. I was talking to Brother Dave today. He's counting off them right now. But I was talking to him about some of the great healing meetings and preachers all the way back in the 40s and 50s. My dad got prayed for by A.A. A. Allen. He had a tent to seat 20,000 people. Uh, R.W. Shambach, anybody heard that name before? He actually worked for A.A. A. Allen, and then he took on the tent ministry and went all over the place. And uh, I was in Nicaragua one time, and got to go on top of a mountain where David Spencer had one of Shambach's tents. And uh, we, I prophesied over the country in Nicaragua on a radio station. Um, he came, picked me up at the hotel, and took me while the whole family was there. Uh, he took me to the radio station. We had a delightful conversation. And he said, well, prophesy over this country. So I got to prophesy over the country of Nicaragua, which is my mother-in-law's country, by the way. So it's really neat to be a part of things that are old and new. I'm kind of an old and new person. I feel younger than I am, but I'm still my age. I bump into some old classmates, and they still call me Bones. <laughs> I don't resemble that anymore. They say, you grew out of that, didn't you? I said, I sure did. That's what a good married life does for you. It, uh, you eat three times a day and then have snacks in between. No, my wife took good care of me. But uh, I saw one of the guys at Myrtle's the other day, Roy Mann. And he's helping build motorcycles now down there with uh, David Leibla at their place there on PP Highway. And he lost his wife recently, a girl I went to elementary school with, Phyllis, band meter back in those days. But, uh, you know, life keeps going. And what are we doing with ours? How are we utilizing the weapons and the gifts God has given us? One of the guys that we talked about was Branham, William Branham. He had a great healing ministry in the 50s, 40s into the 50s, and had some, he was a wild man. Now his doctrine, I wouldn't agree with all the way, but you know when God touches somebody and uses them, you, you have a hard time arguing with the results. And sometimes, He's not asking them to be a teacher. He's asking them to be used. However, he wants to use their life. 
So how is God using you? How is he using me? Well, I identify some with being different. You know, I'm not the same as most preachers or pastors. And uh, I used to pray over the, the, the motorcycles, the blessing of the bikes, they called it, down in South Florida. I'd have up to 80, 100 motorcycles show up, and I'd go and anoint all the motorcycle riders. And most of them were from the Christian Motorcycle Association. And at that time, I'd already sold my motorcycle. Then when I moved up here, I bought another one. And then I didn't get to bless the bikes anymore. But I blessed them down there. And I saw where one of the guys just passed away. But anyway, God wants to use you wherever you are with whatever gifts you have and whatever circles that you move in. He will utilize your life to touch somebody else's life. We've been talking about the ecclesia, which is the Greek word for church, the called out ones. And... The, this is part three, Ecclesia, a vision for church. What is the church, really? Well, let's look at Proverbs twenty nine eighteen again, and it says, Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. The old King James says, Where there is no vision, people perish. They stumble along the way. They aren't getting things done or accomplished. I like the New King James Version, though, where it says when there's no revelation. Everybody needs to have revelation so that they can have a picture of what God wants them to do. It's revealed to you. I had visions before, and I'm still living and moving toward the visions that God gave me for ministry. Here's a statement. There are non-negotiable essentials for ecclesia or the church. There's some things that you cannot argue away about church. And uh, the first one is love covers a multitude of sins. Aren't you glad? <laughs> How many of y'all have ever committed a sin in your life? Well, guess what? The love of God has covered your sin. Read 1 Peter 4, 8 through 10, Pastor Ken. Get that microphone on. I don't know, I didn't cough one time, and right before I got up, my throat started to itch. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Amen. Some people know how to do things that I don't know. And they're very helpful. Uh, you know, some things are in the natural, some are in the spiritual. So it's important that you utilize what God has given you to show love to other people because you can do that for them. Uh, patience is a word that I never asked for because I knew God would let me go through the ringer. If I ask for patience. But, and I don't think it wasn't that I didn't have patience, but I remembered back to growing up in school and how I was always distracted, you know, by anybody in the class or whatever. I'd hurry up and do my, my seat work or whatever you call it there when I was in elementary school, 
Then I'd have time on my hands, so I'd be throwing paper wads and talking and everything. And the teacher didn't like it one bit. Third grade, fourth grade, and fifth grade, I became the class proctor. You know what that is. I got to sit up next to the teacher's desk. She put my desk right next to hers. And then one day I became a teacher. <laughs> I think she, those girls, those gals planted the seed for me to become a teacher because I sat up there and I looked at all those students. Of course, I had to be careful not to make too many faces because the teacher would notice it. And then I'd get sent to the office and I got to say hello again to the, the paddle <laughs> that was applied to the seat of my learning and uh, the Board of Education, as they called it, that was applied to the seat of my learning. But you got to, one thing that's non-negotiable <laughs> is love. You got to love people. If you're going to be around ministry, you can't pick and choose who you can love and who you don't love. You don't have to like them. There's been people I didn't like very well in ministry. And there's people that didn't like me. Sometimes they'd say, I don't, are you real? I said, why is that? Because you're always smiling. Nobody can be that happy. I said, I don't know. I just always smiled growing up. I just thought life was a lot of fun. I didn't have a reason to frown. My dad, when he passed at almost 77 years old, didn't hardly have a wrinkle. You know what? Because he liked to laugh. The McAnulty side of the family laughed and laughed and laughed a lot. And I learned to laugh. But you smile, it takes less muscles to smile than it does to frown. And so you might not have as many wrinkles if you learn to smile a little bit. But anyway, love covers a multitude of sins. Sometimes when people disappoint you around church, you don't have the right to give up on them. God does not give up on them. And so you continue to love them in spite of how many irritations they may cause you. Amen? Number two, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all Sins. Read that verse, Pastor Ken, Proverbs 10 and 12. Hatred covers up strife, but love covers all sins. Oh, that's exactly what I just <laughs> said. I didn't really have to have you read it then, did I? But so you know that that statement, that point was true. It's right in the Bible. Hatred stirs up strife. It does you no good to hate anybody. It doesn't do you any good to let somebody irritate you so much that you begin to despise them or resent them or you're angry and you actually get a little hateful towards them. I'll tell you what, it always bothered me in school when I was growing up if somebody made fun of somebody. Like if somebody was heavy and they called them a name or two or whatever. It bothered me when somebody was unjust with others. You know, if I dislike somebody, it's usually somebody that mistreated others. But I couldn't hate them because God loved them too. And it just stirs up strife if you hate somebody. It causes division. 
Number three, read Ephesians 1. We'll try this another way. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, and then I'll make my point. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus has put everything under his feet. You know, when he died on the cross and he left his body, he descended all the way to where Hades was and Abraham's bosom. Was There was a thick gulf between the two. And the scripture says so. There was the beggar Lazarus, that the rich man that ended up in Hades. He said, oh, if you could just get Lazarus, the beggar, to take it some water off the end of his finger and drop it on my tongue. But even better than that, have him go back and warn my brothers. Let him come back to life and go warn my brothers about this place that I'm in. Of course, you know, if they wouldn't accept the law and the prophets, they weren't going to accept something from the beggar either. But anyhow, Jesus descended. He filled everything. He went down there, and his presence was known in Hades. He preached the gospel of what he had done, taking our sins as a propitiation for our sins on the cross, and so that all those in Abraham's bosom could be led out, and they ascended to the third heaven where God is. What a wonderful day that must have been. That was like the first rapture of the church. All those people were led out of captivity. Jesus led, set free captivity and took those people from Abraham's bosom to heaven. Now those in Hades wouldn't be tormented by seeing them over there. They'd just be tormented. What a terrible thing. But just think, David and Elisha and Ezekiel and some of these that I want to meet one day. I want to meet Isaiah. He's one of my favorites. That's my favorite book in the Old Testament. It used to be Joshua at one time. And I love Joshua and I love the book of Nehemiah. Zach preached a message a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday from Nehemiah. And, Zach, I think that was one of your better messages. You probably need to ring that bell a few more times, you know, and develop a series out of that. I preached when I first moved to Florida. On Sundays, I preached from Joshua, and on Wednesday nights, I preached out of Nehemiah for months. Anyway, Jesus put everything under his feet. He is the authority over it all. And then... In Romans 8, 28, that's an awesome verse. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Oh, and that's my point, number four. We are called according to his purpose and not ours. What is your purpose, you think? See, I always wanted to be an athlete. Well, then when time ran out on me doing athletics much longer except for men's softball or city basketball league or something like that then I became a coach but was coaching really my purpose when I was in New Orleans no it was an avenue so that I could minister to young people I had basketball camps and they were Christian basketball camps I'd have 50 60 kids in those camps 
And, of course, we'd have devotions every morning at the beginning of the camp. And then we would go through the drills and the learning the skills and everything. And, and at the end of the week, we'd give out awards and all that. But there were a lot of kids influenced. And then I developed a program from fourth grade all the way to twelfth grade for basketball uh, teams in our Christian school there in New Orleans. We had 800 kids in that school. It's bigger than most churches today, around here anyway. And it was a, an awesome learning experience for me. But coaching and putting together a basketball system, that was not my purpose. It was just a tool that God enabled me to be used with so that I could learn how to communicate and, and train and teach and pastor kids. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you can pastor children... Hopefully you can keep the attention of an adult. You learn to be funny, although I never had any trouble being funny. It just came naturally. I can't ever tell a joke, Caleb. I can't even listen to one hardly. Caleb was trying to tell me a joke at the men's breakfast the other day, and it's like, come on, give me the punchline. <laughs> it was taking a long time. But that's because I don't have the focus for jokes. It just, I stumble into my humor. I just can't hardly listen to a joke. It just, you know, I, my mind is going here and there. I think I had ADHD maybe when I was in school and didn't know it. My wife would probably tell you I have a little bit of attention deficit right now. I don't always pay attention. Unless I smell coconut chocolate chip cookie. Then she's got my attention. Oatmeal. Okay, not coconut. I knew I'd get it straight eventually. That's why you're here. You're my helpmate. Straighten me out, honey. But we're called to his purpose. So see, when I was coaching, he was leading me into my purpose. Sheila, you're learning how to preach to those little kids on Sunday morning. And you're passionate. Those little kids get something when they go in there. Caleb? You're, you're a helper in there, aren't you? You learning anything? Yes? Amen. Just say amen, brother. You got it. <laughs> but all things work together for good. If you love God and you're called according to His purpose. Church has to be about His purpose. It can't just be about our purpose. Some people get wrapped up in their purpose and what they like to do. But it's really about Him. It's really about His purpose. Number five, don't forsake God's design for fellowship by being with only those that will agree with you. I want you to think about that for a minute. It's easy to hang around with people that like the same stuff you do. Some of the guys that used to be here, and now they've gone on. Xavier, in fact, Xavier and Amanda will be back for about a month or six-week visit. I think she's going to stay a little longer with the kids. But Xavier still texts me. We're back and forth. Why? Because we like basketball. And we like the Miami Heat. And so guess what? We're talking back and forth while we're watching the game 
as if we were sitting in the same room. You know, some people don't text me about that. Sherman doesn't text me about the Miami Heat game. But you know what? Sherman likes basketball. If it was Twin Rivers, he'd be all about it. You know, but some of us don't identify with the same stuff. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't fellowship with one another. There's a whole bunch of people that, and I've had to repent a little bit. I've been guilty at times. I, I get a little bit bored with ministerial meetings. If I could put it that way, down in Homestead, we would have a meeting and they would have a whole agenda and you wouldn't hardly get to talk to each other at all. They had this agenda they were putting forth. And, you know, I, I was honest with them one day. They wanted to have this prayer deal going and all, and I, I just kind of raised my hand, and they acknowledged me, and I said, you know, guys and gals, because we had female pastors too down there, I said, I just find it a little ironic that y'all want to have this concert of prayer as a ministerial association, but I don't know everybody's name that is here. I kind of preached to them. I said, I'd really like to get to know you guys before I do something so intimate as have serious prayer with you. A couple of the guys kind of raised their eyebrows, you know. They want to do the religious thing. Well, you know what? I'd have enough religion in all my life that I didn't need a bunch more religion. I wanted to have some relationship. Finally, one of the guys who has passed away now, he said, Pastor, I'm going to buy a boat. You think you might want to go out with me sometime? I said, JT, that sounds like fun. When you get it, let me know. But see, we don't sometimes know people. We go to church, we make prayer requests, yet we don't even know what their wife's name or their husband's name is. We cannot neglect fellowship. That's one of the non-negotiable things. You can't really be in the church of Jesus Christ and not have relationships with your brothers and sisters. You need to have some relationship with them. Amen? Number six, technology is not an acceptable substitute for divine order. You can tell I've been thinking, huh? I'm not as technologically... Uh, savvy as my son Zach I have to ask him sometimes what do I do and then I got others asking me what to do I said I don't know I don't know how to do that you need to call Sean or Zach they know how to do it a lot better than I do <laughs> then I put a little thing there zoom is not the same as being in the room now, Zach took a lot of Zoom classes because that university wasn't just located only in one place. There were professors. One of his professors was Dr. Mark Roberts, who used to be an associate pastor with my brother in Hendersonville, Tennessee, north of Nashville, many years ago. He married a girl named Carol Crosser, who was from Poplar Bluff. She went to Evangel same time Tammy Pfister did, who ended up marrying Jean Hansborough. And then I went the very next year, and there were others there. 
And we were all friends. But when she left Evangel, she met Mark Robert, and they got married. And then he stumbled along and found my brother's church, and, and he didn't have his doctorate then. But then, lo and behold, many years later, he's a professor at Oral Roberts University, and Zach takes a Zoom class with him. And he's asking the names and all, and he goes, Oh, are you, uh, what did he say, Zach? Are you Kevin Stein? Or he knew it wasn't Jerry Stein. Yeah, are you Kendra Jerry? He said, Yeah, he's my uncle. Kevin's my dad. He said, Well, I knew him in Hendersonville many years ago because I was there for about eight months or nine months. My wife and I lived there. I taught in the inner city schools of Nashville, Douglas. Uh, county or whatever it's called, but uh, it was it was uh, you know interesting. Now he's taking a Zoom class. It makes the world a lot smaller, but it's not the same as being in the room with somebody where you can really talk and pray. You do what you can, and you have to do. Just like having these things on Facebook Live and then on YouTube. People can get something from your ministry, but boy, when you show up live and you talk to them and you take their hand in the altar and the Holy Spirit grips them and touches them, there's something very powerful about that. So it's a pretty awesome thing. Read... read uh, Acts 2 for me there, 37 through 47. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Amen. Well, that church grew in a hurry, didn't it? The Holy Ghost came on the scene. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit, 120, and then it just exploded. Peter got up and preached a message in Solomon's porch area where all the people could gather outside the temple area. That's huge up there, by the way. How many others have been to Israel? Okay. Well, I tell you what, that dome of the rock that sits right there and then the Al-Aqsa uh, mosque 
on the very corner, which was the pinnacle of the temple area, as they called it, as where Jesus had a little discussion with Satan, you know, at the end of those 40 days of fasting. But that Al-Aqsa Mosque, you could have 20,000 Arabs come in and put their little prayer rug down and kneel in that mosque. And it only took up, Sheila, one little corner of the Temple Mount. I mean, there could be a Reinhardt Bonnke meeting up there. Of course, he's passed away, but, you know, he used to, he had up to over a million one time in Africa. Awesome. Well, it was nothing for, for thousands of people to be up there, and 3,000 became believers that day. Quite an amazing, miraculous thing. But I'll just give you some points that I got out of that. Number seven, people became believers and repented from their sins. They received the gift of the Holy Spirit and were baptized. They got it all in one day. Isn't that awesome? You don't have to wait six months and then, you know, get baptized in water. There's not, you know, it's not that complicated. And you don't have to wait till you understand and take five classes on the Holy Spirit before you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I mean, God, through Jesus Christ, He is the baptizer. And so when they preached the truth that day, all of a sudden the church went from 120 to 3,000. They didn't worry too much about rushing out to build a building. You know, sometimes in, in our day and age, the concern is how can we build a building big enough for all this? I'll never forget one of the little gals that used to attend here had a dream. She called me on a Sunday afternoon. She was living in Nebraska, Angela Williams. Remember Angie? She'd get all excited and start shouting. She came here for a while. And she said, Pastor Kevin, I saw a big tent out here. And it was like big enough for a few thousand people to sit under. And because the building wouldn't hold the revival. And said, they were bringing buses in with busloads of people dropping off the people. And people were evidently parking way somewhere else where they could had enough places for the cars. I thought, well, that wouldn't be my design of doing it that way, but wow, that's a pretty cool dream, if you ask me. And, uh, but that's how God works. If 3,000 people could believe in that day, do you think he could do it again? I think he could. But they became believers and they repented from their sins. It's one thing to say a sinner's prayer. That's pretty easy. You can feel a little conviction in your heart and somebody say, well, who wants to ask God to forgive them? They can say that prayer. And I'm not one to judge whether they're truly saved because the Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you shall be saved. But there's that little other aspect, repent. Well, they repented from their sins that day. And I think that's pretty awesome. The eighth point is this. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship by breaking bread and in prayers. Wow. They not only got teaching, which we have classes on Sunday nights, and we teach 
on Sunday morning and Wednesday night, and lots of places have a lot of learning about the Bible, and that's awesome. You can learn good doctrine. But he said they continued in the doctrine of the apostles and in fellowship. And it talked about that fellowship by breaking bread, going from house to house. You know, think about it. How many people have somebody over their house to eat? Tim, have you ever ate at my house before? Are you sure? I think you did one time. I think, didn't we give Tim something good to eat one night? This was about three or four years ago. Anyway, we've, we fed our handyman when he was overworking on our, our house. Man, we'd feed him about two or three times a week. I think he just, he wanted to be Kevin Jr. after a while. Yeah, my wife was such a good cook, you know. But uh, you got to go from house to house. Maybe you say, well, my house isn't presentable right now. Or it's not really equipped to have very many people over. Well, have you ever heard of the Lemonade House Grill or Pizza Inn or... or uh, Dexter Barbecue or, or Applebee's or something like that. Well, you can still break bread with somebody at a restaurant. Invite them out. And uh, it doesn't have to be everybody coming to my house. It, everybody ought to be going to each other's and going out to eat with one another. There's a strong bond that happens when you do that. Now, God's powerhouse uh, Sister Virginia, Brother Sherman, and the Morgans also, they have a ministry on Sunday afternoons. They have lunch after they come to church here. And then they have a time of ministry after that. They're building a, a nice building over there. It hadn't been erected yet. They got the concrete slab down. But Dennis was telling me, he said something like there's going to be like 10 bedrooms. And no? Five? There's going to be some bedrooms because they want to be able to house missionaries when they come to visit or if they wanted to have a women's retreat or a men's retreat or something. They would be equipped because they'll have a commercial kitchen to go along with it. And so they can break bread out there in Brosley. Some people wonder, I don't know, I've never been to Brosley before. But you know what? they got a nice ministry over there. Brother Ed Sherrill, I worked for him in House Springs, he built something on his property out in Zalma called the Sabbath rest. And it's for ministers that need to get away and have two or three days of rest. So he called it the Sabbath rest. It's pretty cool. Uh, I went in and saw a little bit of it one day. But another thing, you know, they prayed together. So when you break bread and you get together, it's great when you can pray together. We have a men's breakfast at Myrtle's in the cowboy room on June the 4th, Dennis. June the 4th. So if any of you are watching that attend or visit the church, come out and eat breakfast with us. That room will hold about 15 or 16 people. We'll squeeze you in, won't we, Caleb? He and I always have biscuits and gravy there, don't you? Debbie's special. Anyway. But... We break bread, fellowship, and have prayer. And then, in number nine, 
They did wonders and signs. You know, I always saw it as signs and wonders before because I thought it was signs that make you wonder. But in this passage, have you ever noticed that, that it mentioned wonders and signs? I'm just curious. I wonder what those were, those wonders and signs that they had. Now, I've seen some wild stuff in the ministry. I mean, things that make people think we're crazy. But it was real. It was. I mean, one Sunday morning down in South Florida, I had a group of people from one side to the other, and I went down to lay hands. I mean, we had people with every kind of ailment you can imagine. I don't know why. This is kind of a William Brannan type deal because he would snap his fingers in front of people and they'd be healed. Well, the Lord said, clap your hands and say in the name of Jesus. So I said, in the name of Jesus. And boom, they were falling out in the Holy Spirit. One man jumped up. He had his hand all bandaged up. And he, he said, it feels like it's on fire. I said, what? And he ripped that bandage off. And he had had a cut with, I don't know, 12 stitches or something in it across the palm of his hand from a mishap. And he said, look. I said, yeah, it's your hand. He said, no, it was a cut and I had several stitches. I said, well, where are they? He said, that's what I'm saying. When you did that, he said, my hand got on fire and then I ripped that bandage off. He said, there is no cut and no stitches anymore. That's a wonder. Not just a healing, it's a wonder. It's a sign that made me wonder. Wow. Then, you know, then you want to make a doctor now clapping your hands. Everybody clap your hands. Everybody in ministry school, come up and let's practice. Anyway, I remember Dale Sides talking about the angels. And he said, you know, we have a right to send those angels out. And he said, you know, just something like that. Tell them to go. Go, angels, go get it. And, uh, you know, somebody said, yeah, it's for pretty doggone fast or pretty doggone quick or whatever. PDQ. You know, those angels. I, I'm not so sure we can command the angels too much, but I know the Lord can. If he sends them, we can say, Lord, send your angels, please. Let them go do the work that we need to have done. But they had, they were together. That's the thing. You know, the family of God, that's why we put family in our name. Because we want you to hang out. We want you to want to be together. And when you do that, they had all things in common. If somebody had a need, then they said, well, you know what? I got this other property over here. Let me just go sell that. I got this extra stuff. Let me sell this stuff. And I'm going to help so-and-so with that need that they have pretty amazing when you have that kind of anointing going on and people are giving and helping I remember brother Tino was in need of a truck uh, for his ministry because they would start the feeding program and they would have to go pick up supplies from Walmart and different stores they actually got Walmart in Mexico now you know well, they had other stores too and places that were donating things and they'd have to buy some things. So he got this truck, and plus they had construction 
going on a lot. And uh, Robin Berry and her husband have a business out here on uh, T Highway. Or is it A at that point? Anyway, it's T and A Highway. They're the same highway. And you go over the overpass from where we live. And you go down the highway, and they're over there. And her husband repairs wrecked vehicles. And he makes them like they're new. Well, they had a truck. And Tino liked it. And it was going to be sold for a certain amount of money. Well, she talked to her husband. She lowered the price. And then, I, uh, spontaneously, I said, well, come on, folks. We were over in the building behind Marshall's there next to Gamma Labs and the conference center. And we were there for five years. And I took up an offering, and we were able to raise about $800. And I don't remember who else gave money. And I think that's when she said that she was going to lower the price. She said, well, you got that much money? I think it was like 1200 maybe it's 1500 she wanted for the truck. It was an older model, but it was in good shape because they had repaired it. And so she just knocked it down. We, we all got together and helped him to get a truck. You know, Dave and Tara bought him a van and a little pickup one time and uh, donated it. And then uh, they used it for a long time, and then they allowed Pastor Mihanga to use it too for his church. Just the family of God helping one another, helping each other. I've given away a lot of things since I've been in the ministry. I gave a 1964 Chevrolet Impala, four-door, three-speed on the column, I think it was a 225 uh, slant engine or something like that, six-cylinder. Anyway, I don't remember totally, but that was a nice old car. I mean, it was like brand new. I got it from my aunt and uncle. Bought it from them. And I had it going good, and we used it. And I drove it in Nashville when we lived there. Then I drove it up in House Springs. And one day I got up, and we'd been in a lot of prayer, and the Lord said, you need to give that car to Randy Roberts, who was in Jimmy Swagger Bible College. He was a carpenter. Well, I thought, Lord, he's got a van. I guess it'd save him a little bit of money as his work van. He had all his carpentry tools in it. And his wife had a little pickup truck she drove. I said, I'm going to need a vehicle if I give this away. So I bought a plane ticket. I drove that 64 Chevy all the way down to... Baton Rouge and I met Randy and we went to a Sears or somewhere and signed over the title to him and somebody there was a notary or whatever anyway we got it done but the few days before I actually got there his wife totaled their little pickup truck and so then she was able to drive that old car to her school where she's a school teacher God had provision for them, knowing what was going to happen. And he was testing me to see if I would obey him. But we loved each other, our families. We cared about them. Randy had been in a Christian rock group that I managed years before. He was a great singer. And so he was going to Bible college. I wanted to help their family. So we had some things that we could get rid of 
so we could help them. And it worked out well. We were able to give something to help their need. Number 10, they continued to have service in the temple and by going from house to house praising God. You know, it's good to come together in a setting like this where you can have praise and worship. You can have needs prayed for. You can teach the word. You can pray for people on the altar. People can get saved, filled with the Spirit, healed and stirred up. You can have all that. And then also you can have a Bible study like this on Wednesday or you can go to somebody's house and have a time, a meeting together. It's pretty awesome, really. Well, this is the summary. As they did this, the Word said they had favor with God and with men. And guess what? It said the church grew daily. They had 3,000 people in that church. They met outside by the temple. And then they also met from house to house, and it kept growing. There was momentum. And that's what I'm praying for. All the churches that will preach the gospel in Poplar Bluff, I'd like to see the momentum of them growing daily. Stand with me, would you? Father, I thank you and I ask you right now to move and minister to the people that were here tonight. Stir them up to grab a hold of this word about the ecclesia, the church, a vision for church, that we are to be a place of learning but also fellowship and love because love covers people's sins and it helps them to stick with it when they don't feel like they should. And I ask you to do that through us in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Thanks for being here. Bring something to eat on Sunday. Sign up with a dish back there if you haven't already. Except Philip and Anna. We pray for them. They're going away for a second honeymoon. Philip said it's a vacation. <laughs>